0: Hey there, everybody. This is Will Pruitt here with the ProWrestling.net All Access Podcast. And while most people are hanging out talking about the Royal Rumble today, I want to go a little indie on you. And I want to talk about Wrestle Reunion Weekend in Los Angeles annually. And it started in LA. Um, It's moved on now. They do it with uh, the Royal Rumble WrestleMania. And I believe they're doing it in Toronto at one point this year as well. But this is an annual wrestling convention where fans come really from all over the world so surprisingly to me at least um, fans come and there are three big indie shows that are part of the weekend along with that there's a lot of uh, signings and different uh, different vendors have different wrestlers come as their guests and all that and but the main feature and uh, what I went to, were what I think were the two biggest shows. There was a a show on Saturday night that included a Legends Battle Royal and a Legends Tag Team match and all that, and as much as I love me some old man Vader beating people up, I did not go to the uh, Saturday night show. What I did go to was the Dragon Gate USA show on Friday night and the PWG show on Sunday night, and I'm going to talk about those shows and just kind of the overall Wrestle Reunion experience with you guys and give you kind of my view of what it is, um... But before I do that since we are on the all access side I just want to talk real quick about some of the uh, perks and benefits of membership. One of the biggest ones um prowrestling.net members in the .net member forum got a post from Jason Powell on I believe Sunday early in the day saying hey basically saying I got one source that said this I wasn't able he wasn't able to get a second one and when he's not able to do that, he tends not to put stuff out on the site. But the source said, um, gave, basically gave him a list of Royal Rumble rumors. And um, those rumors were, I'm bringing up the actual post for you right now. Um, the rumors were, Karma returns in the Rumble match. Booker T enters the Rumble. John Laurinaitis is only at ringside and does not full-on referee the Rumble match. Jim Duggan is in the Rumble. And Sheamus would win. Jason Powell went five for five with those rumors, and they weren't predictions, they weren't guesses, they were things that were told to him by a source within WWE, I just want to mention real quick, that's one of the perks of .NET membership right there, you get first look news, you get rumors, not just on the main page, but you also get uh, your rumors in the forum as well, when they can't quite be, uh, you know, backed up, that Just one of the tremendous perks of membership. And if you're sitting there going, well, how can I become a .NET member? I'm going to make it easy on you. Go to prowrestling.net right now on the right-hand side of the page. There is a member sign-up link. Click on that. And for as low as $5.50 a month, if you take the annual option, you can become a prowrestling.net member. Get yourself access to the ad-free version of the website, the .NET Members Forum, where things like this are. The .NET Weekly Show. It's an audio show with, with Chris Shore and Jason Powell that has usually a ton of first-run backstage news that they're not even going to put on the site. It's not going to go on the main page. It's not going to go on the forum. It's going to be right there in that audio. Um, on top of that, you're also going to get audio reviews of Raw, SmackDown, and TNA Impact. You're going to get um, weekly Q&A, a weekly Q&A with Jason Powell, once again, where you can ask him a question about history. You can ask him a question about uh, current events you can say, hey, is there any word backstage on what's going on with so-and-so? Is there a reason Jack Swagger's been losing so much? And Jason will go to his sources and ask. And he'll come back in that audio update with an answer. Sometimes the answer is there's no reason. Sometimes the answer is I don't know. But uh, there is definitely normally an answer of some sort. So that's that's a major perk of membership as well. Um, And you get the uh, .NET countdown show with myself and Jake Barnett counting down the Top five and bottom three moments of the week on a weekly basis. Uh, that's been featured a few times here in the uh, All Access podcast, as have a few of the other um, things we're talking about. So all of that, as low as five fifty a month if you take the annual option. But if you just want to try it out for a month, maybe uh, you know you're in a po- you're on a post Rumble high and you want to check it out. You can try it out for a month at seven fifty. You know, download all the audio and unsign up if you want. Or, you know, just keep being a member at that rate. We don't mind either way. Um, but definitely something worth checking out if you enjoy audio and you enjoy getting uh, some the first look at some news and some rumors involving WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, and, uh, you know, all of the major promotions. So that's, that's the plug for right now. Now, let me talk about Wrestle Reunion And I'm a storyteller, so you guys are going to have to sit through some stories here. Um, Friday night, I get there. I came into town for the Dragon Gate USA show. And I got to the uh, Westin, the LAX Westin, where it was being held probably about an hour, hour and 15 minutes early. I walk around and, you know, run and I see Superstar Billy Graham out there. That was pretty cool. I see, uh, um, Greg Valentine. That was cool. Um, and... There's a bunch of fans waiting in line to go in. Before, if you were in the uh, front two rows, you got a meet and greet with the wrestlers on the show prior to the show. And that, that's a really cool thing that they did for folks. And I didn't do that because, you know, I figure I can meet and greet them at some other point anyways. So I will go over to the bar and grab a beer and just kind of hang out. And I'm waiting for the show to start. Well, I'm waiting, just chilling. And who do I see walk up to the bar but Eric Watts from Tough Enough? Uh, if you don't remember him, he's the guy with the really big hair that was really out of shape. Um, there's a man named uh, Steve Austin that yelled at him a lot. Just in case, you know, you're still not quite uh, clear on who this guy actually is. And I wouldn't blame you if you weren't. Oddly enough, a lot of other people at this show were not either, which is kind of what the story is about as we get into it. So yeah, so there's this guy from Tough Enough hanging out, and no one knows why. No one, you know, people are looking around, they kind of see him, and he comes up to the bar, and he has a couple of people with him. He gets completely ignored by the bartender, absolutely full-on ignored. And he's looking around like, what's going on? Don't you know who I am? And nope, nope, no one, no one's really paying attention to him. So the guy is at the show. Like, he's at the Dragon Gate show that night. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm just kind of people watching, hanging out. And the dude is straight up lurking. Like, not even a joke, lurking. Eric Watts is lurking around. He's He wasn't brought in by a vendor. Check the Wrestle Reunion site. No one said Eric Watts is appearing. No one, you know, asked him to come. And it's not like people were like, oh, wow, Eric Watts, what a coup. Oh, he showed up. No, the dude bought a ticket as a fan, showed up in a Tough Enough t-shirt, and was lurking, waiting for people to approach him and say, hi, I really enjoyed your work getting yelled at and not being able to run. That's, it's like, that's what he was waiting for. So... Yeah, throughout the show, you know, he's walking around and he's sitting in the back and just kind of watching and sulking. At intermission, he goes and hangs out back near the vendor tables and everything. There was a High Spots table and a Dragon Gate table and other tables. And he's hanging out back there, like, again, waiting for people to ask him for his autograph. Like, he's just expecting it and hoping and praying that it's going to happen and he's not going to be embarrassed. Not today. Well, no one really did. I think I saw one person take a picture with him. But at the end of the show, I was talking to Mike Rowe, a a PW Torch contributor who does audio a lot with Sean Radican, and he's from the L.A. area, and we were kind of comparing notes on the show and just chatting a bit about wrestling and such, and he goes, and we're both just standing there, and suddenly Eric Watts is making, like, a beeline for us. It was weird. He ends up walking by us, but I honestly would not have been surprised had Eric Watts turned around... And been like, hi, uh, my name's Eric Watts and I was on Tough Enough. Maybe you uh, saw the show and you know me. Would you like my autograph? Maybe we can take a picture together for you. Like, I, I really thought that I think he expected to be more important at this show. I don't know how. Maybe he thought he'd get there and Gabe, the uh, booker of Dragon Gate, would be like, you're on the show tonight. None of that. None of that. So yeah, that's just a little bit of awkwardness and a story from this weekend that I found really funny Just Eric Watts lurking in the back in his Tough Enough t-shirt. Side note. You know how if you're in a band, you're not supposed to wear your band's t-shirt? It's kind of considered in bad taste to do that. Like, it's just not something that should be done. If you're in a band, you shouldn't wear the t-shirt of your band. It's basically your life motto if you're in a band. I don't do this. I'm not that pathetic of a person. Uh, Wrestlers do it. A lot, um, you know, CM Punk wears CM Punk T-shirts. Why? Because CM Punk makes a lot of money off of the sale of CM Punk T-shirts. A lot of money. Steve Austin wears Steve Austin T-shirts, and you know, it's a little more socially acceptable for wrestlers. But you don't see, you know, guys from Metallica getting up in Metallica T-shirts. You don't see Chris Jericho rocking a Fozzy T-shirt on stage. You don't, and that's a really low-grade rock band. You just don't do it. And Eric Watts, you don't make money off of Tough Enough t-shirts being sold. If a Tough Enough t-shirt gets sold, you don't get 20 cents mailed to your house. You get the satisfaction of knowing a Tough Enough t-shirt was sold. You wore a Tough Enough t-shirt basically so people would go, where did I know him from? Oh, the shirt says it. The shirt says Tough Enough. We're good. Anyways, that's... That's enough of that. I'm I'm probably rambling on too long about Eric Watson. and not enough about the fantastic DGUSA show. It was called uh, Open the Golden Gate. And the main event of this show was uh, Shima and Ricochet defending the Open the United Gate titles against um, Masaki Machizuki and Jimmy Susumu. Guys, I'm going to murder some names today. I, I'm telling you that right now. But let's start from the top of this show. Um, going, So I go in. There's probably about 250 to 300 people there for this show. And they trickled in. It was very much a trickle-in type of show. Um, the sadder thing than the low attendance, which uh, last year in the same slot, Ring of Honor did more than double that attendance-wise. But the sad thing about the uh, lower attendance is that they didn't even sell out their expensive seats. I mean... For all of these Wrestle Reunion shows, they were selling first, show, first row, second row, and third row. I think some even fourth row for a little bit extra. And, you know, they added on, like, a bonus meet and greet or signing session or a free poster or a free DVD or something. But, you know, there was for, they were selling those. The first row, there were about two seats open ahead of me. And I couldn't see all the way around the ring, but there looked to be a few others open. The second row was basically empty, especially on my side of the ring. And I ended up um, moving up. To the second row. I just bought a general admission ticket and I moved up to the second row. No problem. Had a great view of the show. And it was a really good show. But I, I have to think, and you know, I didn't talk to anyone that said this, but I have to think reun- reunion officials have to be disappointed by the attendance at the Dragon Gate show. They had to expect a little bit better than what they got. So that's a bummer for them. I, I thought that they uh, worked hard, at least. There, there was some really hard work on this show. And it was also on iPay-per-view. So if you didn't get a chance to catch it, and you're hearing me talk about it, and you want to see it, go, you know, you can go to, uh, I think it's WWN, uh, Gabe's iPay-Per-View site, the one that all of the Evolve and Dragon Gate stuff ends up on. Go there, check it out, it's uh, gonna be available for, you know, it's gonna be available for ever ish on iPay-Per-View, so... But our first match was Loki defeating B&B Hulk, and I was surprised that uh, Loki was out this early in the show. Uh, Loki was brought in as a last-minute replacement for Johnny Gargano, because uh, who is the uh, DGUSA Open the Something Gate champion? By the way, quick note on DGUSA. They have so many open gates. Like, it's just all they do. The open, you know, uh, as they're introducing people, I want to say all of them in Dragon Gate or Dragon Gate USA, like in some form of the Dragon Gate organization, had a championship. There was, like, the Open the Dream Gate, the Open the High Five Gate, the Open the Gabe Gate, where all you do is open Gabe's gate as champion. Man, that's a tough one to win. Uh, There were just a lot of gates. Uh, The Open the Bill Gates for excellence in technology. Yeah. But, uh, and the show was called Open the Golden Gate, which I think means someone is now a California champion. Um, there's also Open the Bronze Gate. I don't know. I'm just making things up now, guys. But, uh, I was surprised to see Loki on this soon in the show. He, he was one of the main draws for this show, and they put him on early. Very early. And I thought that the show may have suffered from it. Loki defeated b Hulk in probably about a 12-minute opener. And the thing with this, the only complaint I have is b Hulk's a former champion, Low-key is someone that you're building. Dude, this is better than an opener. And you put it on as your opener with an opener match length. And that that just disappointed me. Um, there were one of the themes of the night, and I think one of the themes with DG USA that you're gonna get is some hard chops. You're gonna get guys slapping the hell out of each other on the chest. You're gonna get handprints left on people, and uh Loki and Hulk definitely left some uh, some marks on each other. And the finish of this one came with a low-key hitting the key crusher, and then I went to the top rope and hitting the double foot stomp for a clean win. It was just, you know, it was a shorter match. I really didn't expect the finish to come right there. I was expecting a little bit of a false finish. You know, let's do it again. False finish, let's do it again. A build like that, and we really didn't get that much of a build here. So I was I was pretty, uh, pretty surprised to see this one end. I thought we were going to get a few more near-falls out of it. So um, that... You yeah, know, that was our opening match. Then we went on to our second match of the night, and that was the Young Bucks defeating Chuck Taylor and Scorpio Sky. Chuck Taylor was originally scheduled to be up against Rich Swan, but uh, Swan missed his flight. So Taylor was got on the mic and was like, well, I'm just going to have a match against one Young Buck, Matt or Nick Jackson, come on down. And the Young Bucks came to the ring and said, do you know who we are? We're Matt and Nick Jackson. We're the effing Young Bucks. We don't have... A singles match when you want us to. It looks like you're just going to have to go two-on-one. So they kicked Chuck Taylor, started beating him down, and Scorpio Sky came out to make the save. And uh, Sky, um, so the Sky ran the Bucks off, and Taylor and Sky were in the ring, and Taylor grabbed a mic and said, well, looks like I've got a partner now. How about we make this thing a tag team match, boys? And that they did. And this match was pretty fun. The Young Bucks are way over his heels in PWG. And uh, you're in Southern California, so you're going to get a lot of PWG fans coming to this. You know, if people are into indie wrestling in Southern California, they watch PWG. That's just, you have to. And it's the rules. It's one of the best indies in the world, you know? So, they uh, they were definitely over his heels in this one. Um, it broke down the way that indie tag team matches love doing. They, you know, with the dives to the outside, intricate double teams, and it was entertaining when it did, uh, Scorpio Sky does live up to that last name, and Homie Flies, like you would not believe, um, Chuck Taylor held up his end of the deal as well, and of course the Young Bucks, or as they were known in TNA Generation Me, always fantastic as far as a, uh, high-flying duo, so it, it was very fun, the finish came with the Bucks hitting more bang for your buck, the, uh, Kind of you remember Finn or uh Mr. Anderson's Green Bay plunge move, the rolling thing, followed by one splash and another splash, and finally the pin. Yeah, hitting that thing for Scorpio Sky on the were win- on Scorpio Sky for the win. And that was how the Young Bucks beat Chuck Taylor and Scorpio Sky. Up next was our third match, and that was Masato Yoshino versus Naruki Doi. I've never seen these two before. I, I'm not a uh Japanese wrestling aficionado. I'm not even a Dragon Gate guy. This was actually my first ever Dragon Gate show. I haven't watched one. I haven't, you know, gone to the website and checked any out. I definitely will after this, to be uh, completely honest. DG USA is up on my list now. Um, But it's totally in the cards for me to check out some Dragon Gate after being here. And this match is one of the reasons. Um, Masato Yoshino. And I'm going to talk about him a lot because he impressed uh, at the D- at the uh, PWG show as well. Is the fastest wrestler I think I've ever seen. That dude flies like you would not believe. There he flies. He he runs the ropes and it's you can't see him. He's just a blur. He's so fast. He's so crisp with his movements. And seeing him in here against Naruki Doi, another smaller wrestler, who um really uh, who really. Worked well into this style. Um, Doi kind of had to ground him and enhance what Yoshino was doing. I think Yoshino might, I, I think Yoshino might get a little sloppy if he's in the ring with uh, wrestlers who aren't able to ground him. But that didn't happen this weekend, so it's not even worth considering it as a possibility. But he was crisp. He was fun, um, and a lot of fans were into the dueling chance. Kind of a, you know. Let's go, Yoshino. Let's go, Doi. That kind of thing. Um, the match ended kind of odd for me in a fast paced, high flying match to see a submission. But it did end by a submission when Yoshino caught um, Naruti Doi in, I'm going to murder this name, Sol Naciente. And it's this move that involves basically taking your opponent's hands and crossing, or arms and crossing them while holding their hands and then locking in like a choke. I don't even know what it's supposed to hurt, but he got it on once, and um, Doi got out, and then he got some kicks and got it on Doi again, and Doi tapped out. The finish seemed sudden to me. I didn't feel like the drama had been built up with Doi, um, you know, selling the arm. There, there wasn't the psychology there behind the submission, and if I'm going to see a submission like that, I like to see a little, little bit of arm selling, a little bit of, oh, I'm hurt beforehand, and that was not there. But that's a small nitpick, because this match was pretty fantastic. Then we had another interesting one here. Um, The fourth match of the night was Sammy Callahan defeating A.R. Fox in an Anything Goes Tables match. How did this become a tables match? A.R. Fox came down. A.R. Fox, his mentor is Sabu. And Sammy Callahan took out Sabu at the uh, Evolve 10 show, that last show at the... um, What is that place? At the ECW Arena. Yeah, I have thoughts on loving a bingo hall so damn much. It's really odd to me, but I've never been there, so I can't really say, but, so Callahan took out Sabu, Fox is, Fox's mentor is Sabu, so he loves him some Sabu, so he comes out and he says, you know, you took out my mentor, I want a match against you, and I don't want it to be like a normal match, I want it to be an anything goes tables match, so Callahan comes out and Air Fox just dives right out of the ring and onto him over the top rope, To get the action started. It was announced then. That it was an anything goes tables match. And. um, They worked a really intense hardcore match. There was one table involved. And that table was thrown around the ring. Um, They did a really nice looking spot. That was actually very safe too. With uh, Callahan throwing the table at Fox. Who was repeatedly ducking in the corner. Fox sold it like he was shot. And the table never touched it. You know, he, he was in the corner the perfect way. Callahan was very safe in how he was chucking that table around. And it never really hit Fox, but it looked really good. It sounded good. I, it, It's work like that that makes me appreciate what wrestlers do. Because while you can see the slightest bit of air in it, I'm guessing camera, you know, and it was the corner was right. It was the corner that I was sitting at. And I'm in the second row. So I can see there's air in it. The camera can't. The people on the other side can't. And I just appreciate that kind of work where you can tell that they took the time to come up with a spot that looked really good but wasn't all that painful. However, they did some painful stuff here too. They took a barricade and set it up um, across, you know, from the ring apron to the barricade, set it up bridging that gap. And there were three huge spots on the barricade. Um, Fox got backdropped onto it bending it a little bit and that that looked like it hurt. Then Callahan ended up lying on the barricade and Fox came off the top rope and did a flippy sp- splash on him. My god. That, you know, and we thought that was it. We thought okay, that barricade's out. It, it's pretty much bent like a V, barely staying up right now. That's got to be it for the barricade. And then a little bit later, Callahan had Fox up for a powerbomb in the ring and threw him over the ropes and onto the barricade. And this was the dangerous spot to me. The others, yeah, they looked like they hurt, but it didn't look like anyone got head trauma. This one looked head trauma-y because Fox flew a little too far and ended up hitting the other barricades. And uh, it looked like he kind of hit the back of his head on those. He seemed fine, but there was a lot of concern in the audience. There was a lot of people standing up going, oh my god, why? And that was basically my reaction. Why? Was it necessary for this match? I I mean, and it was a really good match. After that, um, Callahan picked up Fox and powerbombed him through the table on the outside that they had broken the legs off of accidentally. So the table was in an odd position too because it couldn't actually make it stand up. So my main thought on this match was why? Why did you have to include all of those barricade spots um it was a really hard fought match it was a great brawl if you're into that style of wrestling more power to you i thought it was a nice technical hardcore brawl you know it met in the middle really well um but yeah it it really did scare me a little bit then we got intermission colt cabana invited people to go see his five dollar wrestling show and it's basically mystery science theater 3000 wrestling kind of and uh, it, would, it was going to happen about an hour after the DG USA event ended. I did not go to that. And if you're wondering why I did not go to that, it's because I live about an hour away from where the convention was and I didn't want to be out that late. Yes, I'm an old man. Then we had our fifth match of the night, which was John Davis defeating Caleb Connolly. Um, this was kind of, everyone referred to it as the High Spots match, as in the company High Spots, who was a sponsor of the convention, basically putting on, you know, getting a slot on the card to put in a match. We were surprised it wasn't the opener. But I guess having it as that first match back from intermission, eh, it's just as dubious of an honor, right? But it was pretty good, surprisingly good. Um, Davis won the match with a power bomb on Conley. Um, he, at one point Davis slapped Conley so hard on the back that there was a handprint on Connolly's back for the rest of the match, and that just did not look comfortable. Then we had our sixth match of the night: Akira Tozawa defeated Pac. This was a really good match. I had never seen these two wrestle before, and it it was an absolute privilege. I mean, I've I've actually seen Tozawa, I think, on an old PWG DVD I have hanging out, but I had never seen Pac. And seeing them together, it was an intense, really, really good match. Their styles work really well. Um, Tozawa got busted open in the match, and, you know, we're in a hotel ballroom, and the floors are carpeted. There's no real padding down, so I was just worried that he was going to get blood on the carpet. I know that sounds silly, but, you know, Um, a lot of springboard dives, which, you know, isn't surprising with Pac being the man that gravity forgot. Um, And one where Tozawa ended up missing and bending another barricade with his body. That looked harsh. Um, The match was, the finish of the match was Tozawa hitting German suplex after German suplex on Pac. And just, um, Tozawa, the way he German suplexes someone... He doesn't make it look easy or comfortable or enjoyable. He makes it look like pain is going to happen. It's imminent. It's death. It is pain. That's just the way your life is now. Um, that's, that's how I would describe his German suplexes. Because he struggles on picking people up and getting them over. And then it's a very fast, hard hit when you go down. It's definitely a unique German suplex. And they look super painful. So hopefully... They just look painful, and they aren't super painful, but Tazawa uh, and Pac um, just put on a fantastic match here. I was very, very happy to uh, get to see this one live, and have this be kind of my first time seeing these two guys live. Then it was time for our main event of the evening, and this was Sima, or Shima, and Ricochet defeating Masaki Mochizuki and Jimmy Susumu to retain the Open the United Gate Championships. These are the tag team titles. Um, open the United gate, not open the unified gate, not open the, uh, gate gate, not, you know, none of the other open the gate championships, but, uh, this was a really, it started off pretty wild. Um, you know, they tried to get kind of a wild tag team brawl going at first, and then they let it cool down. It was the longest match of the night, probably around 45 minutes. I wasn't timing things. I haven't looked at other reports when I know I easily could. I just wasn't into uh, timing things as I'm there. Because, honestly, I'm there to enjoy a show, too. You know? I, I mean, I'm working a little bit. But um, the match, it was odd. One odd thing. The crowd got quiet enough at points that you could hear the commentary from the back of the room. And that was just strange. That, to me, I mean, you're you're just so not used to that on a live wrestling show that it just felt weird. Um, there were some amazing bumps, some tag team combinations that I have never seen, some, you know, code breakers into backcrackers into super kicks, like crazy stuff from Shima, Ricochet, Machizuki, and Susumu. So go out of your way to check this one out if you get a chance, because it really was a great match. Um, It was the best match of the show, as the main event should be. It was really nice, and Shima and Ricochet won the match. Um, Yeah, just fantastic. After the main event, um, Tazawa and Hulk ran down and started beating up um, Shima and Ricochet. This brought off brought in Loki to run them off, and Loki kind of, you know, gave them a look, and they they ran out. And then Loki cut a really bad promo. I like Loki on the mic nine times out of ten, but I thought that this promo it was to set up kind of this idea that DGUSA in 2012 is going to be focused on Loki. Beating people up, basically. It's going to be low-key against the world. Low-key, you know, there for action and there to change wrestling by being part of DGUSA. And it just seems really... I mean, the promo just wasn't good. It was a little too calm for me. He went through each guy in the ring and was like, I look forward to looking across the ring at you someday. And you, Shima, I look forward... To looking across the ring at you someday, and maybe it's just the fans weren't into it. I don't know, but it was, you know, very much a Loki is just, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some matches here. That's my goal here. Matches, I'm gonna have them. Matches, and it eventually led to a handshake between Loki and Shima, um, and Loki leaving. It was like a five-minute promo that could have been two minutes easily. And the disappointing thing for me, it left a bad taste in my mouth as I left the show. At the end of that night, it was kind of a... As opposed to being like, man, I saw just saw this awesome tag team main event. I'm so psyched about it. It was like, yeah, that low-key promo, man. It went on last, you know? It's true that whatever happens last is what people leave thinking about. It can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. That's why you don't see a whole lot of heels when WrestleMania main events, because... People leave a little down on that. Worse is when you see something bad close a show, and that's what happened here, is a bad promo closed a really good show. Um, then Shima got on the mic, and thanked everyone for coming to DGUSA. Yeah, fun card, not a bad match. Um, bad turnout. Loki's promo was bad, but uh, one thing I have to say on this show, and it's my compliments to Gabe, the, uh, Gabe Sapolsky, the booker of Dragon Gate USA and evolve This show was paced better than than any indie show I've ever been to. Not a single match on this card overstayed its welcome. Nothing was pulling the, uh, well, we're going to give you an extra 30 minutes here that you don't need. You know, the opener was the perfect length for an opener. The card flowed. I, I never sat there and went, "This this thing over yet? Nope. Every time, the second I thought, oh, it could be, you know, something's even ended too soon. But that's better than it not ending... Than ending too late. Because too late, you just pull the fans completely out of it. I, I thought this was a really well-paced show. And um, really a fun indie show. If DG USA is back next year, I look forward to going. Um, it's a superb way to open a really fun, what was a really fun weekend. And uh, yeah, now let's transition to Sunday. I did not go to the Saturday show. I heard actual really good things about the Saturday show, which is kind of funny. And it's mildly surprising. Um, what I heard was the match of the night at the Saturday show might blow your mind. It was Harry Smith, former uh, David Hart Smith, as part of the Hart Dynasty in WWE, and he tried being cowboy David Hart Smith and a bunch of other things, versus Davy Richards. That's People said that the... I mean, I talked to people I respect um, that were at the show, and they said it gave them chills. They said it was that good of a match that they took each other to the limit. I can see it in that... I think their styles would mesh really well, really fantastically, actually. So that um that was definitely a uh, uh, you know disappointment to miss. But everything else I heard about the show, I'm not all that disappointed that I missed it. To be perfectly honest with you, in case you're winning, uh, in case you're wondering, The Godfather won a Legends Battle Royal in the main event. So yeah, there's that. So but uh, Sunday was Pro Wrestling Gorillas Kurt Russell Reunion 3. And um, the main event of this show was a six-man tag team Never In Your Wildest Dreams match 2. I guess because they had a six-man tag team Never In Your Wildest Dreams match last year, so this was the sequel to it. And this one was El Generico, Pac, and Masato Yoshino versus Kevin Steen, Super Dragon, and Akira Tozawa. And the tagline for the match was, yes, all these dudes are in the same match together. So, you know, PWG, for those of you who don't know, they rely on snark. And I love that they rely on snark. It makes them a lot of fun to uh, go to the events and to watch their stuff. And it's definitely a snarkier approach to wrestling. It's like Chikara for a more adult set. is how I've heard it described before, and I would definitely go with that. But... This match, this one, um, the show was a little more sold. I got super lucky in that uh, I got hooked up with a front row ticket to this one um, by a friend of the site and friend of Chris Shores um, by and a friend of Chris Shores, Patrick Wright, and I'm very appreciative of that. And I had a really great time sitting up front for this one. The front row seats for this show were about seventy five dollars. So you know, it's not like he bought me the ticket, but you know, he was able to hook it up with a very very nice ticket to this show, and uh, it was well worth being up there for. Let me tell you, I I had a great time checking out the action up close and personal at a PWG. So there were probably about 450 to 550 in the ballroom for the PWG show. It looked like they had moved some seats around and you know done a little bit to change things up from Friday night. I think because turnout just wasn't what they expected. I don't think anything sold out. I heard. Last year at the uh, PWG show. Now, last year at Wrestle Reunion, they only did two events. It was Ring of Honor on Friday and PWG with Legends worked in on Saturday. So the PWG show wasn't just Pro Wrestling Gorilla, but it also had like the Legends Battle Royal and some other stuff. And this year, I think they tried to split the Legends show off to be its own show and then to have their own PWG show as well. So kind of a, you know, get two shows out of what was one concept, and I don't know that that worked so well crowd-wise. Um, so the crowd itself was subdued. They seemed really hungover for the most part, if I can be perfectly frank, and, you know, there's that shouldn't be surprising to anyone because they should be hungover at that point in the uh, weekend. They... Had a legend show the night before, and I'm guessing a lot of legends were probably at the hotel bar afterwards, and um, they had a, you know, and just some other really fun stuff that weekend, and this was kind of the next morning. The show was at 1 o'clock, so it's a little bit early for a wrestling show, a little too early to get drunk and rowdy, so you just kind of got a... there. So it, it wasn't... It, And also, um, another thing, it seemed more subdued than your standard PWG show, I think because there was an element of separation. Um, If you watch PWG DVDs, where they normally uh, film their DVDs, is at the American Legion Hall in Rosetta, California, and there, there aren't any barricades. There, it's ring, maybe a couple feet, where there aren't chairs set up, and then just, you know, people. And it's masses of people. There is no leg room in that joint. I've been to a show there, and I'm going to go to more, and I have trouble sitting. I'm a dude with long legs, and, you know, I'm sitting there going, my God, why do you people keep moving back? But it's nuts being there with no barricades, and there's regularly dives into the crowd and things of that nature. Well, this was a PWG show with barricades and a little, you know, some fancier lighting and stuff that really, you know, leaves the crowd in the dark and lights up the ring. Which is fine, except that's just not what PWG fans are accustomed to. And I think the separation made the fans feel less like part of the show than they normally do in Rosetta. Um, The show started off with um, Sal, one of the convention officials, dude from WrestleReunion, introducing the show and talking about PWG being a great presence at WrestleReunion, saying... It's what brings Wrestle Reunion back to Southern California every year because PWG is that good and it's such a great brand of wrestling and they always put on a great show and draw people. This dude also introduced the DGUSA show and took a shot at Ring of Honor for not wanting to come out, going, eh, you know, all I know is one promotion wanted to stay out where it's cold and we got the promotion that wanted to be here. Um, quick side note on that, I don't blame Ring of Honor for not traveling to Southern California. It bums me out. I like Ring of Honor as a company nine times out of ten, but they um, they don't have a TV presence in Southern California. It's not. It costs a lot to fly people out, and it, you know the money adds up. And when you don't have TV, what are you really? You know, you don't have your TV to promote this. Normally, with Ring of Honor, or at least what they're doing right now, is traveling solely to the places where they have a TV presence. So they're hooking up. You know, they're trying to hook up their TV with their touring. It makes total sense. If only they'd hook up their TV with their actual pay-per-views and everything else, I'd be happy. But that's besides the point. So uh, that was a cheap shot from the convention. And I think it sounded bitter. And I don't know. It bothers me when people in wrestling do that. I think mostly just because I think it sounds so petty. One promotion wanted to be here and one didn't. I'm a little baby boy and I'm sad. That's how it sounds to me. And I, you know, it's no offense to this guy. I didn't get a chance to chat with him. I'm sure he's a great guy, a fantastic promoter. I mean, I love Reunion and I'm psyched that he brings it out every year. So, you know, I, I apologize to him if I'm being too much of a D-bag about it. But I really thought that this was, um, a little, that was a little bit of an uncalled for shot at, a uh, Ring of Honor, um, Then uh, we had Excalibur, the pro-wrestling gorilla authority figure. He's the liaison to the board of directors and all that. He's one of the founders of the company who doesn't wrestle anymore. And uh, he's the authority figure and lead commentator. Funny guy. um, Came out and he discussed the fact um, every PWG show begins with him giving a speech. And it's a lot of housekeeping stuff saying, you know, guys, you need to recycle because, you know, people have bottles and stuff. And put, put your stuff in the recycling bin and all that um, but he comes out and basically says, you know, you need to recycle and you need to do this. And the crowd yelled out recycling and he went, have you been to the Westin? Have you looked around here? There's not a recycling bin to be found. And I uh, went on also to talk about the fact that the Weston has in fact banned streamer throwing, which is a bummer. Um, I know a lot of fans at the PWG shows like to do that. And a lot of them were planning to, especially, uh, they love Akira Tozawa and they wanted to, um, you know flood him with streamers because he's Akira Tozawa and he's that freaking good. So I think there was a little bit of a, oh, with Tozawa not being able to get streamered in the face. So, um, the and I think the show may have suffered from it. Again, it's the crowd interaction that wasn't there. Um Then Excalibur announced that Eddie Edwards was out due to travel complications and he mentioned that he would be replaced by Harry Smith, who fought a Davy. Richards the uh, night before, and the crowd was into that. They they were actually psyched, and I think had he not had that great match with Richards, people would have been like, really? Harry Smith? That's a- Why not just get Billy freaking Gunn or something? That, that probably would have been the reaction. Billy Gunn was there the night before, too. Um, but in our first match of the night, we had Brian Cage, Taylor, and Ryan Taylor against uh, the tag team of Famous B and Chris Cadillac. This one... You know, Brian Cage-Taylor and Ryan Taylor opened the last PWG show I was at, too. And it was basically the same type of tag team match where it was kind of a formula of things. Uh, You know, a formula of this is the, you know indie tag team match it's an opener it's gonna break down a little bit we're gonna do some outside dives it's not gonna be a whole lot of storytelling and it's gonna end with something spectacular and that's basically what this was the ending is a uh, double team canadian destroyer type move where um brian gets on his back legs up the opponent leans over him and then uh Ryan Taylor gets on the opponent, basically, and I'm going to powerbomb or pile drive you position, and uh, Pro- Brian Cage kicks up and elevates the two of them into the flip for Ryan to do the Canadian Destroyer, and they did this on Famous B and got the win. It was okay. Not fantastic, you know. It was an uh, indie tag team match. Our second match of the night was Jimmy Susumu versus B&B Hulk, and a Jimmy Susumu beat him, and... This one suffered a lot early from the crowd silence it was pretty dead in that joint and the first two matches were just really unnaturally quiet and I wasn't a fan of that. I, I think that they or something should have happened to at least wake people up. we needed something in this match to wake people up and they got it later on but there was something there was something weird about the crowd where it just got so quiet. It was a big crowd. I mean, there was a fair amount of electricity. There, you know, there was some anticipation. People were psyched to see PWG. But I think burnout was starting to take place, too, with a lot of the people who had been to the entire convention. And, you know, during the day Friday, then Friday night, then all day Saturday and Saturday night. I almost wonder, you know, if the convention would be better off. Having a matinee wrestling show and an evening wrestling show on Saturday and not actually having anything on Sunday other than a little bit of convention, you know, a convention breakfast or whatever. I I think they it might sell a little bit better, too, because you're not going to have people wanting to get home for the Royal Rumble the way... I mean, it was a dash to get out of there at the end of the show, and we'll talk about that, too. There were a lot of people rushing, so... um, But, yeah, it was... A really good match. Things picked up. Definitely picked up down the line. And um, it was a really good final few minutes. It was another match um, that I thought ended, though, a little bit suddenly. A little more sudden than I expected it to with Susumu hitting Hulk with a a double-arm face buster. Karma's finishing maneuver that she calls the implant buster in about 15 minutes. But it was a solid, fast um, match, especially the final five. It was really good. I didn't expect it to end there, but... That could also be my own personal ignorance of the signature moves of these wrestlers, which I am willing to admit. Then we had our third match of the night, and this one was the Young Bucks against Davey Richards and Harry Smith, aka David Hart Smith. And um, Davey Richards cut a promo before the match, talking about how he and Dave, he and uh, Eddie had a uh, inspiration when they were uh, first, you know, becoming a tag team, and. You know, the wolves were inspired by the Bulldogs, basically. And he talked about how last night he fought a, the son of one of his heroes and how much that meant to him. And then he said, and he took me to the limit. I've got to say we stole the show last night. And I'm, I, so when I had to come up with a partner, I couldn't think of anyone better. And then Harry Smith came out to Bret Hart's theme music, but he was called Bulldog. I think you break out Rural Britannia at this point in a, you know, have him come out to his dad's theme music. I'm not saying he needs to grow dreadlocks and put the beads in them and have the whole cape thing going, but when you're promoting him as bulldog and all that, uh eh, make him a little more British, guys. Come on. Um, this match was basically Davey playing the babyface in peril. Um, if you're, in case you're wondering, um, David Hart Smith did not exactly, or Perry Smith did not exactly break out the killer moveset that some people might expect at a PWG show or, you know, kind of an indie show in a Davey Richards match. He didn't suddenly have 14 kicks at his disposal and all sorts of weird, crazy slams. He's still David Hart Smith, and he still has the David Hart Smith moveset. This match was designed really well around it, with Davey playing the babyface in peril and getting a hot tag to uh, Harry Smith, um... Some notable spots. Harry Smith hit a vertical suplex on one of the bucks, and it was one of them delayed vertical thingamajigs. And it was a 37-second delayed vertical suplex. He held him up in the air vertically for 37 seconds. It was impressive. It was, you know, the whole crowd was counting along with him, and it's definitely something that needs to be seen. Um in the end, the bucks were able to uh Knock Smith out on the outside and hit more bang for your buck on Davey for the win. This was a really nice match. It uh, showed what you can do with Harry Smith when he's used well. I I would love to see him return to PWG. I think, you know, I don't know what he charges and if he'd be worth it, but he's definitely a guy worth looking at. And the fans at the end of the match also chanted, please come back at uh, Harry Smith. And, you know, this was his PWG debut. It was unexpected, and it was really really solid match so he should be proud of himself again I didn't see the match the night before but if it's as anywhere near as good as I heard it was he should also be proud of that there's there's something very special um going on there and who knows I'm not gonna say John Laurinaitis was right when he said he could be a Wrestlemania main eventer but he could prove a lot of people wrong who doubted his wrestling ability if he keeps having great matches out on the indie scene like he is right now Um, our fourth match of the night was Willie Mack defeating Naruki Doi, and it was a clash of styles. Willie Mack normally is the, uh, he's a big guy, but he flies a lot, and he's a really agile guy. He moves like nobody's business for, you know, a guy his size, and, um, he normally plays to that. He plays to the flying and not necessarily the power, but with um, Naruti Doi, he played more of a power base, which is way more fitting to his body type, and especially going against the smaller Doi. Um, Doi was being, a, was healing up on the crowd, but it's hard to heal on an indie crowd, guys, and we're gonna get into that in a little bit, just uh, some of those issues that I think most indies run into, and I, uh, PWG is running into it themselves. Um, It was a really fast match, a little bit of rest on occasion, and Mac won the match with an impressive um, sit-out powerbomb from a, like, slam position. Like, he basically tossed him up and brought him down in the powerbomb, and it was pretty neat. So, really nice stuff from Mac. really nice stuff from Doi. Uh, Again, this was the second Noduki Doi match I've seen, and I'm impressed. I'm probably going to seek out some Dragon Gate stuff to watch him. Our fifth match of the night was a weird mix of really good and really bad. It was one of the best parts of the show for me. And absolutely the worst part of the show for me. And I'll get into why. Um, It was Candice LeRae, B-Boy, Cedric Alexander, and a mini-luchador, Mascarita Dorada, defeating Joey Ryan, Peter Avalon, Ray Rosas, and another mini-ish luchador. A little bigger than Mascarita, but, you know. Um, Demos316. demus Three one six. Um, and I'll I'll start with the bad first because I really want to end this match talking on a positive note because so much of it was positive. What I did not like about this match is the involvement of Candice LeRae. Um, maybe I'm being a little too old-fashioned, but uh, she her gimmick in PWG is basically she's a woman who's in matches with guys a lot. She's in a feud with uh, Joey Ryan because he's sleazy and she's not, I guess, and what I really dislike about Candace LeRae, what I really cannot stand about her, is her matches tend to encourage the crowd to chant for rape and chant for the abuse of women and, um, you know, uh, even little jokes. I just, I can't stand. I, I don't think that domestic violence is something to make a joke about. I don't think it's something that you make light of. I know it's a wrestling show and it's violent, but... sorry, there's plenty of great female talent out there. Uh, I'm not saying Candice LeRae is a bad wrestler. I'm saying the exact opposite. She's a really fun act. She's great to watch. She's fun. There's plenty of women's wrestlers out there that you can fly in or that you can find in the L.A. area for her to have feuds with. There's plenty of people for her to, you know, be around. But when you put her in these situations with Joey Ryan and with people, basically simulating rape in the ring. Like, no, I'm not kidding. watch the matches simulating rape and there's a bunch of idiot fans out there yelling about it and screaming and hooting and hollering and making jokes and you know no means no, no means no or get her Joey or just saying really inappropriate things things that you should never say to a woman I, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and be like I'm the most gentlemanly guy and you're all bad people but it honestly makes me embarrassed to be a wrestling fan at some points and that's I'm embarrassed to be one. I'm embarrassed to be identified as one because if someone saw that and thought this is how wrestling fans act, they're going to think of me. And I am not that. And I think any wrestling fan that thinks they're worth anything, any, you know, uh, hey guys out there, if you're not rapists, you should not like this because that's what they think. That's, you know, and I'm not saying it's all about what people think, but this is just stupid. And they really do play it up as a defenseless woman in the ring getting, you know, basically taken out, and occasionally getting a hope spot. It's one thing to do it once in a match, but it's pretty much monthly at this point in PWG, and I can't stand it. Um, so that's my, I guess, soapbox on that issue and on this uh, idea, and, you know, I'm sorry. It's just something I feel very passionately about. It's something I'm really, really annoyed with in PWG, and I'm, I'm really frustrated by it in wrestling in general. I don't like being made to. Look inf- and I don't like feeling dirty after I watch a match. You know, like oh that was oh god, it's disgusting. What are these people around me that I'm pretty sure aren't bad people, but are chanting for rape? Come on, uh, I I think as wrestling fans we're better than that. I think as people you can all be better than that. Man, the f up. Um, but sorry, uh, I didn't mean to get on quite the soapbox there. The really good part of this match was Mascarita Dorada man that dude can fly he is spectacular i've never seen him before he's a little you know mini luchador the dude is fast he's crisp he you know can bounce off the ropes like none other he he goes up to the top and it is impressive it is darn impressive and he takes risks i mean at one point right in front of me this him and a Demus i guess is his name um, that's such a weird name. I don't get it. He, they flew, uh, Masquerita Dorada flew off the top rope onto him, and they flew over the barricade together. It was absolute insanity. I would love to see this guy brought back. I would love to see him in more matches. Even you just bring him and Dimas in to settle things, man. It was cool. Um, but the match itself, uh... Don't think I went over... Did I go over everyone in it? Yes, I did. Um, Cedric Alexander and B-Boy were just kind of there. I don't feel like they added much. I don't feel like they took much away. Same thing with Peter Avalon and Ray Rosas. I mean, they do their whole act as part of the uh, sleazy bunch with Joey Ryan. And, you know, like I've said, I don't like the whole sleaze thing. I don't think it's an effective use of anyone's talent. And it, like I said, also makes me a little disgusted to be a wrestling fan. So... That's what that is. And then we went to intermission for this show. And we came back to our sixth match of the night. And that was the Rocknest Monsters against the Blood Warriors, Shima and Ricochet. Um, the Rocknest Monsters are Johnny Goodtime and Johnny Yuma. Um, This match, it was so different. Um, Shima and Ricochet, who were super serious in this, uh, you know, very, you know, pretty serious tag team in DG USA, which is a more serious promotion, suddenly got to show a little bit of humor and have some fun with the Rocknest guys. And part of this match was them, uh, the Rocknest guys wear bandanas, stealing their bandanas and putting them on and trading off with the bandanas throughout the match. Um, Them, you know, just kind of doing each other's taunts and being really snarky um, as they got into it. It it was a really nice mix of comedy and serious wrestling, being lighthearted, but never going, never being too funny. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think the Rumble is a great example where there was a lot of comedy in the Rumble. And the thing with the Rumble with comedy this year, I thought, was that there was too much. It's not that any of it was particularly bad. Each comedy segment on its own. I was fine with the commentator thing. I was fine with the uh, Santino and McFoley thing. I was, You know, you go down the line and I was fine with most of the comedy spots. But it was too much when you put it all together in one. And I I feel like this match never crossed that line with comedy where it got to be too much and it was still very serious. They brought the fans back from intermission in, you know, a really nice way and that they settled in and they were totally willing to buy into the show again. It wasn't like that post-intermission lull and they didn't put on a crappy match after intermission just to let people get back to their seats with their beer or whatever. So it broke down into the spots and double-team moves and that was absolutely fine. Again, insane stuff from especially from Rico- from Ricochet and Shima that I was psyched to see. And um it was entertaining. There there was nothing to complain about. And the finish came, um I don't have the finish written down. Damn. They, the Rocknest Monsters defeated Shima and Ricochet. And the Rocknest Monsters, I think, they're in for a really big tag team push in PWG. They're they're doing some great work. Um last month they were up against uh oh, they were up against and beat Future Shock. Um Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. So they're they're definitely getting a lot of big wins under their belt against very popular tag teams. And I think, you know, one of the things to watch in PWG this year is the Rocknest Monsters kind of rising up. And I think across the entire independent scene as well. So our seventh match of the night was uh, Masaki Machizuki defeating Roderick Strong. And Roderick Strong for this match was babyface in peril all the way. He, you know... Hurt his knee in the beginning of the match. And Machizuki continuously worked the leg. Worked the knee. Worked the leg. Worked the knee. Over and over and over. Um, You know. Roddy would get a hope spot or two. Mostly backbreakers Because that's what Roderick Strong does. But uh, it didn't match the pace of other matches on the show. It almost seemed, you know, you had a tag team match that got a little crazy. You had this six-man tag team main event that everyone knew was going to get crazy. In the middle of those matches... They put on something that was going to be a good match, no doubt about it, but wasn't going to get absolutely insane. They put on something, you know, I I don't want to call it a come down match because that sounds bad, but they put on a match that was more based on the story than based on the crazy action. And these guys told a quality story. It, It was probably one of my favorite, uh, Roderick Strong matches, to be honest with you, because of that story. And, uh. They they told it. He attempted to overcome and couldn't and couldn't and finally he succumbed to a, a series of kicks from from Machizuki. That I know what you're thinking. Davy Richards throws series of kicks. What's Mochi do? What's Mochi doing? Um, sorry, people chanted Mochi for him, so I want to call him Mochi. Um, but this was a series of kicks. A couple were springboard kicks to the head, and they just they looked so much better than the Davy Richards crazy series of kicks that he throws. It was. You know, night and day, the difference is here. Maybe that's why. what happens when pro wrestling isn't just what you do in your spare time. Um So yeah, Strong couldn't overcome the kicks and was pinned by Machizuki. Um, then after this, they announced the next PWG show. It's basically like two and a half months away. It's going to be in on March 17th. And I'm bummed about that because I'm just, you know, I've been, this is my second PWG show I've been to and I'm getting into the product more and more. And I would really love to have a show to go to, you know, to have one of their shows to go to in February. So, boo. And then there was the main event, and this was El Generico, Pac, and Masato Yoshino defeating Kevin Steen, Super Dragon, and Akira Tozawa in the six-man tag team main event. This is, when I was talking about the issue with having heels and baby faces on the indie scene, this is what I'm talking about. The fans in PWG are rabid for Kevin Steen and Super Dragon. Um, Steen especially... You know, he walks out, he just walks into a room and people are chanting, kill, Steen, kill. Um, they love, Super Dragon is a, a returning founder. He's got so much history with the company that they love seeing him. And uh, Akira Tozawa, again, is a returning guy who used to be a tag team champion with uh, Kevin Steen and all of this other stuff. So they love Tozawa as well. The problem is, is that these guys are working heel, basically. Then you've got El Generico. El is a total baby face. People love him. But he just got out of this intense feud with Kevin Steen, where people were cheering Steen and kind of cheering Generico, but, oh, now they're in a match together again. And, you you know, I'm not saying you put them in a ta- in the same tag team ever again. I think the days of Steen and Generico, as great of a tag team as they were, they have to be over with how much they've feuded now, at least for, you know, two or three years. And then you can bring them back together through circumstances, almost like they did with Degeneration X in 2006. That reunion worked, by the way. Don't let anyone tell you it didn't. It worked. Um, but, and you had... You know, I, I think this match was really just supposed to be, let's get these awesome people in a match. And that's what it was. Um. So, uh one of the uh, most entertaining parts of this match, the crowd was, again, quiet. Not super quiet. They were louder than they had been. But it was a quieter crowd than I think we're used to at PWG shows. And... Part of that was, or, and one of the ways that they took advantage of the quiet, and really a fun way that they um, took advantage of the quiet, was they had, or Kevin Seen basically from the corner was making fun of people. He was commentating on the match. He was talking about how he has the best body in wrestling and saying that El Generico's really let himself go. It was an entertaining, just, uh, you know, kind of back and forth, and Steen was talkative for the entire match, saying things like that. He was being a jerk, which was awesome. He went up to the top rope to do a senton at one point, and yelled, uh, there were some kids in the front row and went, this is for you, kids! I love you guys! You know, and, again, just being totally snarky, and snark is absolutely recommended in PWG, um... I don't, I don't know how Steen and Generico exist in PWG this year. I don't quite know how it's going to go. Um, Generico is the uh, world champion. Steen and Super Dragon are the tag team champions. All of them are baby faces if you go by crowd reaction. But I, you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, the match was chaos really from the beginning. Super Dragon wanted to get his hands on Generico during the introductions and during the match. They furthered that rivalry as well with Super Dragon taking it too far, trying to take off Generico's mask. And I could see them actually later in the year going mask versus mask, um, Generico versus Super Dragon. And it looks like that's where they're headed, that Super Dragon's going to end up in a uh, main event program with Generico. But it was, you know, definitely a a situation. The, The match broke down at ringside, into a brawl at ringside, and everyone paired off. And right in... The front row where I was sitting, Steen was kicking the crap out of a Masato Yoshino. And that was fun. That was an exciting moment. And, you know, I it, I let myself get into wrestling shows when I go to them, guys. I'm not that I'm not the critical person sitting there going, hmm, this is terrible. Or this is good. I don't – I let myself get into them. I don't chant this is awesome because I don't agree with chants that come and, that rate the match actively as it's happening. I will clap for a match. I will get into it. But I think more than this is awesome – guys have to want reactions to the characters and want people to get behind a character. So maybe that's just me being old-fashioned. But, um, yeah, again, not enough can be said in this match about Yoshino's speed. There was a segment of the match where Kevin Steen threw him up against the ropes and was trying to clothesline him, and he just kept crisscrossing, and Steen kept missing the clothesline, and it was super entertaining. And seen, you know, even though he was just turning around, acted more out of breath than Yoshino at the end. He acted it. Yeah, acting. Um, <laughs> Tozawa, again, impressed. He has a great connection with the PWG fans. And this dude's just, this little guy's just got charisma coming out of his ass. It's spectacular, the things that uh, he does. He's really great. Um, and Pac, again, the man that Gravity Forgot. And Pac was another guy who was really fun to watch in this match. It, this was just a wild brawl. It got crazy. All six men took some spills. They took some big bumps. See this match. It's a really fun six-man tag. I mean, you know, in PWG, they're just on the string of good shows. And while I don't think this was on the level of Steen Wolf and Fear, it's definitely on that next level down where it's absolutely going to be worth watching. Um, the finish came with El Generico hitting a top rope turn a top turnbuckle brain buster on Akira Tozawa. Then Pock hitting what I think was a 720 splash and pinning um, Tazawa for the win for his team. Then we had Super Dragon attempting to shake hands with El Generico. And El Generico was pissed. Because Dragon went after El Generico's mask. He played dirty. And that actually did get heat. I, I talked about people not getting heat and people loving it. People weren't into El Generico being unmasked. So maybe that's how they do it. They put that threat against Generico. They put the mask threat in there. And I think Dragon and Generico could be a really fun program, by the way. I I can't say I'm a huge fan of Super Dragon. Maybe I just haven't seen enough of him. I don't know that he can do anything but wild brawls. I don't know that he's in good enough shape to do anything but wild brawls. He uh, definitely is not, you know, uh, he looks a little large, to be perfectly frank with you. So... Yeah. um, But Generico refused to shake his hand. He even went out, shook hands with the other tag team partners, still refused to shake his hand. And um, that was basically it. Then Generico went back to the ring and celebrated with Pac and Yoshino to end the show. What a weekend, guys. What a great weekend. Um, Wrestle Reunion. If one, they're doing it, like I said, in Miami and in Toronto this year. If you're in those areas, go to the Wrestle Reunion shows. It's fun. You're going to see and meet some legends, and you're going to have a really good time. On top of that, it's just, it, it's pretty neat. The uh, wrestling is always good. You're going to have DGUSA at those. PWG does not leave Southern California. God bless them, because I don't want to miss shows. Um, so, there's that. It's... But get the DVDs of these shows if you want to see some good wrestling. I don't think, I don't believe that uh, um, the PWG one is, or that the Dragon Gate show is essential viewing. I don't think either are essential viewing, but there's some really good wrestling. If I had to rate them, PWG goes over Dragon Gate. I just think that the style that they worked in PWG was more fun. Then again, you know, there was more bad on the PWG show than there was on the Dragon Gate show as well, so maybe that all equals out. I have no idea, but it was a really fun weekend, a really fun experience. Um, Then the PWG show ended at about 4.35. I uh, sent the last result to Jason, got out the door, paid my parking, and got on the freeway, and uh, you know, pay-per-views start at 5 o'clock Pacific time, so I got on the freeway and had to race home for the Rumble, and Got home right at the end of the uh, Daniel Bryan and Big Show and Mark Henry Cage match. So, hey, not bad. Not bad. I got to see most of the Rumble and, of course, went back and watched it before writing my review of the show. I'm a good reporter, guys. But I really, really appreciated these shows this weekend. I'm definitely—I'm a weird type of wrestling burnout at this moment where I don't necessarily know that I want to watch more wrestling I'm going to watch Raw tonight. But, you know, after Raw, I don't know that I want to watch more wrestling. But I'm really excited about wrestling at the moment, too. I think I viewed the Rumble through more optimistic glasses because I had watched so much good wrestling this weekend. And, you know, so uh, definitely good shows. Definitely worth checking out. Definitely worth the Wrestle Reunion Reunion experience. This is my second year going. And there was a lot more star power at Wrestle Reunion last year with, um, you know... I ran into Edge there, who just happened to be there. Um, Diamond Dallas Page, Roddy Piper, Cowboy Bob Orton. There, there were a lot of stars at Wrestle Reunion last year, and there weren't as many this year, which also could have had the effect on attendance that I was talking about. But go see it. Go to Wrestle Reunion. Watch these shows. Support your local independent professional wrestling things. At least give them a shot. You know, go to one show. If it's not a good show, you don't have to go back. But go to one show, and if you have fun, go back to it for a second. And if you have fun, go back for a third, and so on and so forth, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Again, speaking of things you should support, ProWrestling.net, like I talked about. Dude, we scooped the Royal Rumble winner. You're not going to get that on other websites. Come on. Anyways, um, thank you guys for listening. If you want to check out .NET membership, if you're not members... Go on over to prowrestling.net, and on the right-hand side of the screen, there's a membership link. Click that bad boy, and you're, you know, go through the sign-up process. Give us some cash, and you are in. Thank you guys so much for uh, listening to this. Uh, Thank you for supporting the All Access podcast, too, and uh, enjoying that. I uh, always love when I get to go All Access for you guys. So thank you so much. If you want to uh, contact me about anything I've said that has grossly offended you, Go ahead. Um, hit me up with an email. It's willtime at gmail.com or on Twitter at its willtime. Thank you so much for listening. This is Will Pruitt, thanking you for your support of the pro wrestling.net podcast and signing off.